joy to look out and see you all here this morning. Beloved family, thankful for the Lord's hand upon us this day, in the midst of some beautiful weather. The sky was just dropped dead gorgeous on the drive-in this morning. Um, the power outage was not our crockpot extravaganza. <laughs> But it was a citywide event, or so I'm hearing. Um, grab your Bibles and turn with me this morning. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. You could say a little prayer for me today. I am not feeling well, but I also did not want to miss this time. So I am joyful to be here, to be with you in God's Word. And... Uh, in our annual meeting to follow, and sadly, then I will miss the fun, but God is good. Uh, pray with me, church. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love for us, for your hand upon us. You are gracious and good, given us so much more than we could dare dream or ask. We come grateful this morning to you. Lord, purge any attitude of complaint, criticism, any, any part of our temporary means that we're not happy with, that we would just really rest in the, in the depth of your love and grace this morning. Thankful for this passage and privileged it is to preach it. I pray that you would move on our hearts and lives, our testimony to well us up with worship, clarity for these good things. Lord, you are worthy to be praised, to be obeyed, to be honored with all these days you give us. And uh, we just submit ourselves to you, Lord. Say, do your work in us this morning. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen. It's on this special morning that we finally reach this most pivotal moment in time in all of human history where the triune Godhead publicly confirms that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the promised Messiah, thereby inaugurating his ministry campaign on earth in the flesh and for redemption of sin. Picking up where we left off last sermon, Luke chapter 3, verse 21, we read our passage today, just the second half of 21 and verse 22. Luke 3, 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized, and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. In this one short passage, we see a unique and wondrous evidence, church, first for the three persons of the triune Godhead also referred to as the Trinity. While the word Trinity is not a word that God chose to ordain to be part of his written revelation to us in Holy Scripture, it is clearly the theological word that, that we use to describe God as he has revealed himself to us in Holy Scripture. The word Trinity means triunity or three in oneness. 
Word Truth Catechism gives us a great definition for the Trinity. Trinity means one God, three persons. There is but one eternal Godhead that exists in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully and completely God. Each has the same essence and is described in Scripture as possessing the attributes of God. One of the essential truths of God is that there is only one God who reigns over all things, also known as monotheism. This is instead of the heresy where there are many or multiple gods who reign, known as polytheism. One of the most famous passages in the Old Testament that states this most clearly is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The most famous verse, this most famous verse, known as the Shema, is the cornerstone verse for the Jewish child that they would memorize and live by. The Lord is one. The scriptures make clear that God is one, but also that God is triune. While sadly there are man-made religions that have either argued that there are more gods than one, or who have argued that the doctrine of the Trinity is not correct, it is important to understand, church, that no doctrine stands more central to true Christianity and the teachings of Holy Scripture. All of our historic confessions, they all stand in great unity on this most fundamental point. Listen to the historic confession of faith, 1689. The Lord our God is one, the only living and true God. And this divine and infinite being consists of three real persons, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three have the same substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence without this essence being divided. Some other key passages we see in Holy Scripture that point us to the marvelous truth about triune God are 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Famous Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Each of these passages clearly contain great clarity about the three persons, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then when considering succinct places in Holy Scripture that speak this way, church, our passage today surely is one of them. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. 
Here we see in one moment in time, God the Son, incarnate in flesh, God the Spirit descending and resting on Jesus like that of a dove, God the Father speaking His eternal love for His eternal Son who is without sin. Church, these key passages and and much more of Holy Scripture's revelation clearly refutes the gross and tragic heresy known as modalism. Modalism teaches that God is one person who reveals himself in three modes in different eras of human history. In modern day, the false doctrine of modalism is the most prominent among heretical groups as oneness groups, the largest of these being the United Pentecostal Church. Church, there is simply too much united history for Christian Orthodox doctrine and far too much biblical evidence that the Holy God is one God that exists in three co-equal, co-eternal persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Consider the famous words of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Church, God does not suffer from multiple personality disorder. There is but one eternal Godhead that exists in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully and completely God. Each has the same essence and is described in Scripture as possessing the attributes of God. Why may mankind humble ourselves to think about God, to talk about God, to know and praise God as He truly is, as He is revealed to us in His holy and infallible Word. Breaking down this most amazing moment of the Holy Trinity being seen or heard, consider with me, first, this said descent of the Holy Spirit. The last part of verse 21, the first part of 22. The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. This is the fulfillment, church, of the old prophecy of Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 2. There shall come forth a shout from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Holy Spirit's bodily form here is to convey an object in reality and not just a feeling or a thought. The Spirit who we cannot see, who is Spirit, is made manifest in viewable form so that those present could see him. Similarly, this is why in Acts we later hear Luke describe tongues of fire to describe the Spirit's descent or coming upon the rest to rest on the disciples at Pentecost. Now, one key thing we must understand. In no way was Jesus lacking the fullness of the Holy Spirit's presence or power until this moment. That means that Jesus didn't gain more of the Spirit in this moment and thereafter. 
This means the Spirit's landing on Christ is more of a presentation to the watching world to fulfill prophecy, to coronate this moment. He indeed resides and remains with Christ. It was the way the Holy Trinity comes out in unity to confirm that Jesus is God the Son, beloved, sinless, ready to fulfill his role as the promised Messiah and Savior of God's chosen people. Notice it says in Luke 3.22, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. The words like a dove here are really important, church. Take careful note, the Spirit did not turn into a dove. This is not an actual dove that flew down and landed on Christ. Okay? But rather, a visible form, something that is able to be seen that was graceful in its descent like that of a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. What a glorious confirmation this is, church. The voice of God, the Father, announcing from the heavens that Jesus is his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. The fact that the voice comes from heaven is not to portray God the Father's location. For God is not spatial. He is omnipresent in all of his creation. That means he is everywhere. It is good to understand that God the Father is not located in the clouds. He's not limited to the heavens, as maybe we naively consider him. The portrayal of the voice coming from the heavens is to highlight, church, that God is high and above his creation. It's a testimony that God is set apart. He is high and lifted up. He's hallowed. This is Jesus' point when he calls out to the Father in prayer when teaching the disciples to pray. Matthew 6, 9. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Christian, when you look to the heavens in worship or praise, it's not because God is up there and not fully and absolutely present right here. It's because God is holy and high and exalted and set apart. Our gaze to the heavens, our prayers to the heavens, our hands lifted to the heavens as we see portrayed in Scripture is not about the location of God. God is everywhere. Instead, it is a right acknowledgement that God is holy and worthy and supreme in all of his character and attributes. This means the words heaven, the word heaven here used by Luke is to portray that God is high and exalted, that he reigns over all things, that nothing or no one is outside of his rule or his authority. Consider now God the Father's testimony of Jesus saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This echoes two important Old Testament passages. The first is Psalm chapter 2 verse 7. I will tell of the decree The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Isaiah 42.1 Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. 
I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The Father's words here is his way of declaring that this is the long-awaited servant Messiah. This is the one the world has been waiting for. The consolation of Israel, the royal redeemer, the savior of the world. There are three things that God highlights in this very specific statement about Jesus. Consider them with me this morning. A voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. First, that Jesus is God the Father's eternal son. The fact that God the Father clarifies and qualifies Jesus is God the Son. Paul says it well when speaking of Jesus' deity and supremacy. In Colossians 1.17, he says, He is before all things. This points us to the doctrine of the eternal sonship of Jesus, which affirms that the second person of the triune Godhead has eternally existed as the Son. In other words, there was never a time when Jesus was not the Son of God. And there always has been a father-son relationship within the Godhead. This doctrine recognizes that sonship is not merely a title or role that Jesus took on at some point in history to serve a specific purpose, but that it is essential to who he is, the second person of the Holy Godhead. Christ is and always has been the Son of God. Again, this takes us back to the testimony foretold in Psalm 2-7. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus is begotten of the Father from all eternity, meaning he's never created by God at some point in time. He is eternal, meaning that he is without beginning or end. He is and always has been the Son in relationship and in eternal proceeding from the Father. The historic Nicene Creed states it well, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. The Son is begotten, not made, meaning he's not created. This means the Father has always been and has always been the Father. And the Son has always been and he has always been the Son. The Holy Spirit has always been and he has always been the Holy Spirit. Consider other texts that point to this glorious truth of the eternal Sonship of Jesus. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. John 17, 5, high priestly prayer. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. We also hear God the Father declare that Jesus is righteous and without sin. This is what is meant by 
with you I am well pleased. Well pleased here means there's nothing in him that brings displeasure. In other words, there is no sin that separates them in any way. This truly is a declaration like none other in all human history since Adam's pre-fall relationship with God. Since the fall of Adam, this is the first and only time a human man stands before God's Father without any separation earned by their sin. This was Adam's short standing with God prior to his sinful fallout, which brings to mind all the passages we read in the Holy Scripture that speak of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. One of those being Romans chapter 5, 15 through 19. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Church, this moment is big. Why? Because the second Adam is here. Praise be to God. He is the better federal head as he will remain without sin so that he can be our substitutional atonement and faithful high priest. The covenant that God made with Adam will be our focus this coming Wednesday night in the next layer of our covenant theology series. Lord willing, I'll be here to teach it to you. Looking forward to that time and clarity we'll gain there together. Consider the good news of Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Praise be to God. Church, this is the good news of the spotless Lamb who has come to take on our sins so that we can take on His righteousness and be eternally reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Praise you, Lord. Finally, church, see with me this morning. Jesus is God the Father's beloved. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Consider with me the love that God the Father has for God the Son. His beloved son. All through scripture, we see God the Father's beautiful affection and cherished love for God the Son. One of the helpful tools we can use as we study scriptures is a hermeneutical tool called the principle of first mention, 
Often the first place something is mentioned gives us a base to understand it elsewhere in Scripture. Do you know where the first mention of the word love is in the entire Holy Bible? It's found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Here God is giving instructions to Abraham about taking his only son Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him as the Lord has instructed him to do. Genesis 22.2, then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Understand that Abraham and his wife were not able to have kids for almost a lifetime. But in God's perfect plan, he gave them a son in their old age. Not an ordinary son, but one through whom many generations would come and look to Abraham as father. Abraham's love for Isaac was truly deep. As the generations went by, the Jewish people who knew what, who knew so well this story, when they thought of love, they thought of a father's love for his son, as given in this amazing example. The basis for mankind, and especially God's people, as they considered what love is, with that in mind, church, consider God the Father's eternal and complete love for Jesus, the Son of God. To begin to understand how deep the Father's love is for us, we have to begin to know how deep and powerful and unhindered His love is for His only begotten Son, Jesus. Consider with me why this is such good news this morning. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son. These statements should absolutely be overwhelming to us when we rightly see the depth of God the Father's love for God the Son. We see the eternal, unfathomable love of God the Father for God the Son, and yet God did not spare him. He sent him to suffer and die. Why? For his eternal glory and for our eternal redemption. Because of his great love for us. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with, with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The good news we celebrate, church, is that while we deserve God's righteous wrath as our good and right judgment for sin, God the Father sent God the Son to take on flesh, to keep the law perfectly, and then to sacrificially offer himself up in our place. Only in the substitutional atonement of Jesus on the cross in our place can we be justified and forgiven by the Holy God. Church, this is God's eternal covenant of redemption. The very covenant that all of creation is set in and for. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. 
even as he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. This is basically highlighting the great news that we who are the beloved, those whom God has loved from before time, those whom are saved and adopted in Christ, are the recipients of the grace that blesses us beyond measure. This is done in the beloved. Notice the capital B. Who is this? It's Jesus. This is huge. Think about it with me. The one whom God the Father has loved for all eternity past, his beloved son Jesus, is the one whom he gives up so that we who are his elect people, whom he has loved from eternity past, can be ransomed and then adopted into his eternal blessings and holy presence. We are the beloved because we are beloved by God. All praise to God. What a testimony. What an amazing moment in time that we're showed here in this simple moment with these simple words, but they're profound. Christian, I pray it stirs your soul to genuine worship of our God. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. With this, as we turn next week to begin our study of the ministry of Jesus by first looking at the genealogy of Jesus. We really conclude the handoff, the baton of the forerunner of the announcer, John the Baptist, to the Christ. But in closing of today's shorter sermon on this amazing passage, I want to take a moment to read to you other words from John the Baptist found in John's Gospel, for they speak so well of Christ and all that we've witnessed in the testimony of his confirmation from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Some of this text I read you in a recent sermon, but it is what he says next that is so wonderfully fitting for this moment in our study about Jesus. Consider the words of John 3, 25 through 36. The discussion had arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I have said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes before me from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. 
Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things unto his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you're here today, I'm thankful. If you're here today and you still are in charge of your life, you wake up and you make the decisions. You decide. You have not yet seen or heard, responded to the good news of Jesus Christ with confession and faith. It is my deep prayer that today you will repent and believe in Jesus and be saved. That God is mightily working in you to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. And what a day it would be if this is his work in you, gracious and true. If this is you, share with us. None of the, all of the people here at Disciples would be elated to get to hear from you that God is at work to give you saving faith in him. For those of us who have trusted Christ, what a joy. What a joy it is to see and to know the love that God has put on us. The love that he's had for us before time. And the ways in which he has perfectly been at work to accomplish all these things according to his plan. His decree from before creation to redeem his people. This is much cause, church, for worship to celebrate our God. It's much cause to respond to these truths with obedience and a fervor to to make much of him and not ourselves, to die to self and to live to Christ, to be attentive to the good things he gives us in his holy word for sanctification, disciple-making, testimony of the gospel. May we respond with faith for his glory and others' good. Church, let's pray together, let's worship the Lord, and look to the things he has before us this day. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these words, simple and yet so profound. You know how much I've enjoyed time with you and study of these things, clarity of these good historic truths about who you are, how you are at work, that we would know you and worship you truly, as you've revealed yourself, that we'd repent of any view or position or approach to you that that is our own right-mindedness, our own pride, our, our own ego to declare how these things are, but that we'd be humble and submit ourselves to your holy word, to receive and know truth, that we would know you truly and rightly and worship you with these days you give us. We are truly thankful and grateful for all that you are. Hear us now as we respond with praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.